We are particularly talking about history through the eyes of a Christian believer. You mentioned Dark Age Man, which I believe is one of the new Marvel episodes that are coming out. Are you serious? No. Homoousius. In unison. Homoousius. That's the reason that I teach this, is I feel like we all should be aware of history because it informs the way we approach every day. This is History Through the Eyes of Faith podcast with Angie Ferris. I'm your host, Frank Grange Jr., along with producer Wes. Make sure you check the link in our bio for our Ko-fi page. This is a great place to support the podcast, get more information and reference material, ask questions, make comments, and even chat with us. We're glad you're here. Hey, everybody. This is Frank. I hope you can hear me all right. We're excited that you're here. I'm your host, Frank Grange Jr. of History Through the Eyes of Faith podcast along with producer Wes. And as always, we would not have the podcast if it wasn't for Angie Ferris. Hey, Angie, how are you? I'm good, Frank. Good to be here. You know, and we're excited that that uh, the listeners are here. We're excited to hear what this is going to sound like because we are recording remotely for maybe the second time ever, I believe. Have we we've done it before? Yeah, we have. I think we just did it for one episode. I can't remember. Because of certain scheduling and circumstances, we've decided to record remotely. So we're not really sure of the audio quality, but we know it's going to be good enough. We just hope it's not distracting because it's going to have to be good enough because this is what you're getting. Episode 83 coming to you from outer space. One of us is in the space station. And I say the space station because I don't know what you call them or what they are called. Um, and Ange, what do you have to share? Where are you? Uh, my background tells me I'm in Nashville, but I'm actually in a different state. Well, how about that? Let's keep it a mystery. Yeah. Let's keep it keep it a mystery I'm, because we have I'm assigned chasing, all of the different. I'm, I'm, I'm chasing the sun in the winter. That's what I'm doing. Well, I don't think that we've signed all the documentation that allows us to say where we are. I am not even in the Red Door studio. I'm in Studio B. I'm in a studio that we have recorded in together, but you're not here. So do we want to jump into any surprises on episode 83? Do you want to recap 82? Do we talk about anything that's happened in our lives since we've recorded? What do we want? I hear there's much to be talked about. Well, I have a story, but I don't know (laughs) if it's much to be talked about. Yeah. But, um. What 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 do you want to talk about next? We want. What, what are we going to get into? Eighty two was the schism is going to get you. Yeah, and, and I did hear from a listener that they were really hoping to hear the song when they saw the title. They were hoping oh, really? that the song would be in there. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> She's getting so choked up about the content. When we talk about eighty two, she gets so choked up about it. Um, so no, the schism is gonna get you 1054. 1054. <laughs> Instead of tonight, it's gonna be 1054. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Um, yeah, yeah. So that was 82. We're going someplace different tonight. Okay, where are we going? Well. We're going to get into a little bit later in the 11th century, um, but we're leaving the, for just a little while, we're leaving the conversation around the church. Oh, we are. I mean, the church is always a part of the Middle Ages, so it'll come up tonight, but this is not a church topic. Or today, or this morning. Yeah, whenever. Whenever. As as we talk. Um, But I do think that you have something to bring from, I don't know. Do you want to uh, talk about our special guest? Oh, we have a special guest. We have a special guest tonight. On episode 83, we have a special guest. Now, let's just talk about a little recap here. We had special guests for the first time on episode 50. Was it the first Tw- time? We had? 20. 20. We had, we had Dr. Tim Ferriss on 20 talking about, what was it, moon? Mm-hmm. What do we call that? Moon. moon? 
Moonth. Moonth. Yeah. And then that was the first time we had a, a special guest, episode 20. And then we had special guests on episode 50. And then was it 75? I think it was. And 76. Yeah. And now only what? Seven episodes after a special guest. We have another special guest. This person is a faithful listener of the podcast. And in some ways, I would say a contributor to the podcast. She has helped promote the podcast. And we have with us the one, the only Sarah Ferris. Hey, guys. So it's Dr. Tim, honorary doctor. No, Angie Ferris, because she gets mad when I say honorary doctor. And then Sarah Ferris. Who does not have a doctorate? But there is a there's a connection. It is a family connection. So Sarah, any any more introduction that I haven't that I about yourself? What where where what you do? Your connection with the podcast? Um, let's see. Well, I I believe it's been mentioned that I'm one of her engineers on call. So that is my main occupation, uh, being the engineer on call for history through the eyes of Pete. And, uh, yeah, and I really enjoy the Middle Ages and reading stories in that. So I am rather pumped about what we're discussing today. I've read Ivanhoe more than once. That is my qualification. You've read Ivanhoe more than once. Yes. And I haven't read it at all. So uh, maybe I was supposed to read it at some point in my life. Um, (laughs) But I didn't. Um, Well, cool. Well, I'm excited because I want to hear more. Go ahead, Ange. Sarah's joining us tonight for color commentary. Color commentary. Well, no, because I'm going to rely on Sarah. I'm going to rely on Sarah for more than that. I'm going to try and beat you to all the answers. That's what's going to happen. Well, you've already won. (laughs) I don't know that there'll be a lot of questions tonight. Oh, really? Yeah, but anyway, it'll be fun. Well, you keep saying tonight. I'm sorry. It's this backdrop. Yeah. See, it's clearly sunset on the backdrop. Like, okay, it can. It's fine. I just, you know, I don't want people to get stuck in, you know, like they might be working out or they might be, you know, middle of the day and they're like, they might okay. lose track of the next meeting they're supposed to be in. Because they think it's nighttime. Yeah. So subconsciously, they'll miss the appointment. But anyway, so we're, we're oh, and we have another special guest jumping on but this is just a different format so i can get distracted by things visually that maybe i couldn't when we were in the studio yeah um, and we could be rec- we could record this without looking at each other but i think it makes it easier to have a conversation when you can see the people that plus we might need to do audio cues like we shake our head or we say don't do that or i'm choking take a drink that kind of stuff that yeah we don't have to say that out loud um but yeah, so I can tell a story. I don't, you know. Okay, so here's what, if we get to, I would like to start, I think, with, I want you to bring in the research that I asked you to do for this episode. Okay. So in a previous, was it the very last, in a previous episode, I don't remember which one was it that we were talking about that interview two it or three times ago. 81. Okay. But I didn't do the homework. No, I'm kidding. I did. You know what else I'm noticing about this format? And I don't know for sure. We'll just know when, whenever it comes out. I think because of how, we, how you have to audio record through you know, uh, an online meeting, that I think our microphones are conditioned to limit noise. So like I asked you earlier, if you could hear me chewing or background noise and things like that. But I think it, when you stop talking, then it's going to give it that space. So we might need to on purpose talk over each other so it doesn't feel so. I don't know. We'll see. We'll just listener. If you're listening to this, you can you can go out to our Kofi site and comment and let us know if we should never, ever do it in this format again. <laughs> but it, you oh, I saw be- I could give feedback on Spotify. OK, last time I opened an episode 
Spotify. I was like, what did you think of this? So I'm not sure if that was a review or a question, but it looked more like I could send in a question. I'll try it and let you know. Try and let us know. Yeah. Well, that'd be great. Yeah. That'd be great if you could do that. So the recap, you said that there we we I did I mention it on the podcast? Yeah, I think I did. Because yeah, I we talked about it. it. Yeah. I was saving it because of in the article or in other conversations that we've had about the podcast, we've talked about sometimes I bring like pop culture references or I I mean it's kind of like I have fun doing that or making an analogy to Game of Thrones or Star Wars or whatever it may be. Um came across an interview with Shia LaBeouf, the actor. Uh, about a movie that he's playing uh, Padre Pio, a, uh, a French, um, no, an Italian uh, priest and father. And that's what you want me to talk about, right? And so, yeah, in, now, in, in this interview, go ahead. I'll interrupt just to say after we did that recording, I went and listened to the entire interview. And heard some other things in there that are very relevant to our discussion and actually go with some things we've talked about. So I asked Frank, hey, go back and look into that and tell us about it. Yeah. Well, I think specifically what we were talking about were relics, right? Yeah. Because we've talked about relics on a couple episodes ago. And in his in the filming of this movie, Padre Pio, they went to uh, the... I can't remember all the names of the places that he was in in Italy, but they went and then there was um, they specifically talked about a room with relics, his relics, Padre Pio's. I think his heart was in a box in this room, but then they also talked about um, the book, the Church of Bones. Do you remember when they mentioned that? Yeah, or maybe the Room of Bones or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And they talked specifically about relics and relics connections to the saints. And and the the interview was with a priest who was talking about how the tangible connection to the body of Christ and the tangible connection to these uh, uh, apostolic fathers and priests and saints because of the relic and their connections to that. So in Shia LaBeouf was saying in an interview that it just made it more tangible and real to him being in the space where these relics were and these connections to these saints that from, from before us, from generations ago. Right. Is there more yeah. that you were looking for? In my no, no. Life? I just thought that was interesting. And I thought I didn't know there was like a church of bones or a room of bones or things I'd heard about relics were, primarily in the past, right? So I thought that was very, and I, I knew that they still existed. And I think you asked about that when we were talking about it, but I thought it was really neat how he talked about that that was a real connection for him, that the fact that they existed and that you can be in the presence of someone or something that's a part of this story that you can learn was just kind of legitimized it for him. So I thought that was. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very, and, and I, don't, I don't know if he used the word, but he made it a very tangible yeah. connection, tactical connection that was not in the past. I think in his mind, faith, religion, spirituality was hard to grasp, but, but when he could be in that place that made it real, then it removed that mystery It removed that, it, it made the belief stronger. Um, yeah, there's another in the episode 82. I was just listening. We you mentioned in the Great Schism and Justinian the Great built. What's the name of the place? Yeah, Hagia Sophia. But I really think it was built by Constantine and Justinian just finished it out. I and meant say to the name it. of it again. Hagia Sophia. It's spelled H A G I A. S O P H I E, and it's another also referred to, I think, as the House of Wisdom. I'm I'm not sure about that, but I think that might have been a place that also came up in that interview that they visited. Yes, it did. It did, and it's it at one time was the largest church in like church building, um, which is now I think. It, 
it's been used as a mosque, but then I, I think it might be a museum and a mosque. Now, anyway, they're returning some of the Christian elements to it, but it's in Istanbul, Turkey. And I'm assuming there's relics there as well. I'm going to assume there is. All right. Um, well, where do you want to go from here? That was the homework that you assigned to me. Thank you for doing your homework, Frank. Well, I enjoyed it. As a matter of fact, I started watching some other stuff too, but I didn't have time to finish it all, but it's been pretty interesting. I'm looking forward to that that movie coming out. Yeah, and I, I just think it's really cool when we run into, into things in our everyday lives that we would not – I wouldn't have noticed that, like caught that, except that we were just talking about it. And I was like, oh, wow, that's so cool. Um, so a lot of this is still around us all the time. So tonight, we're today, now, at this point on this episode, we're going back. We're, we're looking at um, England and what happened there in the middle of the 11th century. This thing called the Norman Conquest. Have you ever heard that before? I think that was the episode of Cheers. What? <laughs> yeah, wasn't that an episode of Cheers? Norm? <laughs> I don't know, but um, have you ever heard of this guy called William the Conqueror? I have heard of that, yeah. Okay, so this is 1066. In which was he from the north? From actually... <laughs> Jump in, don't shake your head. In the, he was not. <laughs> in the root, he's from the Norse. <laughs> so he's like a Viking he from was a Viking Norseman. root. Yes, he's from Viking roots, but he's actually coming to England, not from the north. So we'll get into that part of the story. But how that event influences history from then on. And it's been interesting for me because I was always like, okay, it's called the, the battle in which William conquered England. It's called the Battle of Hastings because it happened near a village named Hastings in the year 1066. And I'm like, okay, so that's a big deal. We need to remember that. But I never really got into the details of why it was a big deal or why we needed to remember it. So that's what we're talking about tonight was how it came about. Now, I've, I've read several different things, and the majority of what I'm using tonight comes from the lecture on the great course in the great courses called 1066, and it's by Jennifer Paxton, Ph.D., and she, so much of what I'm bringing is coming from there. But I have read a couple of other things and listened to an audiobook. So I got into this audiobook and it was just full of all these colorful side facts. And come to find out, it was kind of a parody that was written about 1066. Um, and so Sarah's listened to that audiobook also. It's called 1066 and all that. So she's bringing the color. It's called 1066 and all that. Mm -hmm. And all that. Yeah. It's very okay. British. Okay. <laughs> and um, the, this Jennifer Paxton said it was actually written as a parody. Sometime, I'm, I meant to go back and look up the date. It's sometime in the last 100 years, maybe the last 50 years, maybe the last 20 years. But this I think event it's has. Because he references Game of Thrones. Okay. There you go. So um, throughout history, the um, British children have been taught about this great battle of Hastings. And so what Dr. Paxton is saying is like, that's never really been challenged, that that's a meaningful thing in our history. But this book that's a parody in a way challenges it because it's kind of making light and joke of the whole thing, making it a humorous story. So. Well, I'm, I'm very interested in all I know is William the Conqueror. Hastings, what'd you call it? The Battle of Hastings. The Battle of Hastings, 1066, and somebody made a parody of it, and I don't even know what it is. Other than there's a battle, and there's a guy named William who is a Viking. He was a Norseman. So, so the, the we need to talk a little bit more about what is it? Before yeah, that's going to be the whole episode. <laughs> okay, so well, we're going to keep that as a mystery right now. We don't know what it is. It's the Battle of Hastings, otherwise known as the Norman Conquest which happened in 1066. So what was that all about? So what Jennifer Paxton says is that the, oh, side note here. <laughs> Sorry, got to jump off on a side note. 
remember back when we started talking about our listeners might remember, I don't know how many episodes it was ago when I discovered the useful charts on YouTube and mm-hmm. just went crazy over useful charts. So and you I don't know. Asked for them for Christmas. Yeah. Have we talked about that on the podcast that I asked for them for Christmas? Maybe. I don't know. But well, your useful well, chart listeners, is in my office right now. Well, listeners, I ended up getting, I was gifted six different useful charts for Christmas. And each of them came from a different, or maybe it was five. Frank, did you give me one or two? Who no. One. Okay. Five. And each of them came from different persons and none of them actually arrived before Christmas, which is why the one Frank has is in, is at his house in his office or in the studio. And Sarah's though were here. So when I escaped chasing the sun, I had I, them drop shipped to the remote uh, red door studio location. Yeah. Yes, yeah, they did. And so when I, when I arrived at the remote location, I discovered a chart that is all of the lineage of all the monarchs in Eastern and Western Europe. Like it's the whole family tree. Okay. Well, maybe that's the one I got you. No, it's not. Yours is a little different. It's uh, anyway, I'm when I see it, I'll be able to discern the differences, but there were two different charts on there. But anyway, so we have a family tree that we've been able to study this week that deals with the story because it, it, it is very useful chart because this family tree and this area gets a little messy. I bet it does. Pretty messy. So Jennifer Paxton says the story of the Norman conquest begins not with a battle, but with a wedding. And to understand the wedding, we need to go back to the late ninth century. Okay. So that would be the late eight hundreds. England was not England yet. It was divided into many small Anglo-Saxon kingdoms. And on a previous episode, Frank looked up the name of all of those Anglo-Saxon kingdoms. And we talked about that. One by one, most were conquered by Viking armies. So England is going through Viking invasions. Okay. Um, Then King Alfred, ruler of the kingdom of Wessex in the south, stemmed the Viking tide and his descendants reconquered the territory lost to the Vikings. And so that I'm pretty sure pops up as the first British king that was king over all of England. So it starts with Alfred. All right. Let's see. Wessex expanded and took over all of what we now know as England until the 990s during the reign of King Ethelred II when Vikings came back. Is that how you say that, Sarah? Ethelred? Ethelred, yes. Is this Ethelred the Unready? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Ethelred the Second is the Unready. And it's spelled like this crazy looking AE. I guess that's old Anglo Saxon English. Is that what that is? A E T H E L R E D. But the A and E really aren't separate letters. They're written as one. So it's interesting that it made me think of Ethel and Fred. <laughs> there you go. You'll remember Ethelred. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, so um, the Vikings come back, and the Vikings sometimes received safe harbor in Normandy, just across the English Channel. The Normans were basically Vikings who had settled down in France earlier in the 10th century. So that's the interesting thing, is that the way the Normans became Normandy was from the Vikings settling down on the north western coast of france you ever heard of normandy before frank i have i've heard of normandy and what does that uh go with like in what context do you know do you well i think of the beaches of normandy in world war ii and i think of it being a coastal uh i guess a coastal land no yeah okay so it's the same it's the same place and you and so like when you say world war ii there's mid 20th century and now we're talking about norman normandy back in the 8th 9th 10th 11th century okay so -hmm. it was founded by vikings so that's why the connection goes back to the north even though this particular place in france is to the southeast of england right i get you okay all right so let's see 
I was having technical difficulties on my script here. I got that back up. Um, after a tense, a very tense period, England and Normandy made peace by means of the diplomatic marriage in 10, 1002 between Ethelred and the sister of the of Duke Richard of Normandy, Emma. Okay, and that's the wedding. So the way they made diplomatic peace between Normandy and England way back then was the marriage of Ethelred and the sister of the Duke of Normandy, whose name was Emma. Ethelred, Ethelred. Yeah, Ethelred already had six grown sons, but Emma and Ethelred had two more, Edward and Alfred. So they didn't think that it would matter. Like they didn't think that those sons would ever make a difference since he already had six sons. By mm-hmm. previous, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Can I didn't a sidebar? Yes, please. That's why you're here. My one of my all-time favorite memes is a picture of a knight, um, and it says, "My girlfriend told me I should treat her like a princess." And then at the bottom it says, "So I married her off to a stranger to strengthen our alliance with France." <laughs> and I love it. Married off, married her off to a stranger to strengthen their alliance with France. Because that's what happens that's, all the time. That's, what a, that's how a knight would treat a princess. <laughs> anyway, okay. go ahead. That's great. So um, the marriage didn't fix all of England's problems. It was still under Viking attack, and Ethelred's reign was marked by faction fighting and betrayal. So in 1013, Sven Forkbeard. Javin Forkbeard. Okay. <laughs> Am I saying that right, Sarah? Then, uh, yeah. I, hope you, I hope you're saying it right. Vin Forkbeard. Oh, because he had a forked beard. I would assume. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. He he invaded. He sounds like a Viking, right? I guess so, right? In 1013, he invaded, and the king sent Emma and their children to refuge in Normandy. Ethelred tried to hold out on the Isle of Wight, but eventually fled to Normandy as well. So now they're all living back on Normandy. Sven died suddenly in 1014, but then his son Canute, 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 came from Denmark to claim England. So Sven runs off Ethelred, so now Sven's king of England, and then he dies and Canute comes to claim uh, England for himself, since his father had been king. Ethelred died in 1016, leaving his oldest son by his first marriage, Edmund Ironside, to fight Canute. So, so now Ethelred's oldest son is going. And we're to fight not. Canute. And we're not at the Battle of Hastings yet. We're just no, no. Where just... and this is what was crazy to me when I was going over all this today. It's like this is 1014. The Battle of Hastings is just 50 years later. But so many things happen and so many people are king and so many people die. And the whole thing is like, it, it's crazy how much changes go on. So, yeah, yeah. So Sven died suddenly and Canute comes to claim and Alfred Ethelred dies. And he, then his son, Richard Iron, Edmund Ironside, Richard Ironside, Edmund Ironside uh, has come. So in the fall of 1016, Edmund was defeated by Canute at the Battle of Ashingdon, and Edmund Ironside died shortly thereafter. Canute became king of England, Denmark, and Norway, and had therefore a Scandinavian empire. That was in 1016. Edmund Ironside had two sons, and they were spirited out of England by Canute, but somehow Canute lost track of them. One known as Edward the Exile would reappear later. So when their father dies, they get moved out of England and but Canute lose for some reason loses track of them, which is crazy. So Canute also married Emma. Yes, that's Edward's coming up. Wife. Yes. Oh, so okay. Emma. So Ethelred's sons Ethelred's sons by his marriage to Emma, remember they had two. Edward and Alfred were known as the Aethlings, meaning throne worthy. Ethelings. They were known as the Ethelings, meaning throne worthy. They remained in Normandy for the next 20 years and possibly never expected to set foot in England again. Okay, because their father was king also, right? But 
their remaining in Normandy. Canute had conquered England, but he realized it would be difficult to hold on to it. So in 1017, he sent for Emma to make her his queen. Okay, but Emma apparently, according to the 1066 book, and if I'm jumping you, let me know, wrote a no, biography. So we have like some record of her biography, and apparently she liked Canute way more than Ethelred because Ethelred, I guess, barely gets a mention in yeah. her biography. Either well, that or some historians decided to X him out. I'm not sure. Yeah, well, and Emma seems to be, you know, a power play woman. Some historians think this was a diplomatic marriage arranged by Duke Richard, which was her brother, like Emma's first one. Others have suggested that Emma made the agreement with Canute herself, happy to get her old job as Queen of England back. And I think she was decently well liked, so that helps his clout by marrying her. So Emma left her two sons and her daughter by Ethelred to fend for themselves in Normandy. And this is something that commentators at the time attacked her for. She did not bring her children with her. She just came. Rather than judge Emma, however, we should simply be fascinated by the remarkable story of a woman who became queen of the same country twice. The living essential link between England and Normandy. The living essential link. Yes, that would be Emma. So, Canute helped ease the transition from English rule to Danish rule by marrying Emma, but the next half century proved anything but stable. At no time between 1016 and 1066 was it clear who the next king of England would be. At no time during their period, like right now we know who the king is and we know how, who the next king's going to be, and we even know who the next king after that is going to be. But during those 50 years, there were kings, but nobody knew who the next one was going to be. Because things were so unstable. So Emma had a lot of influence in Canute's court. On many period docu documents, her signature appeared right after the kings, even before the Archbishop of Canterbury's, an unusual mark of her precedent. So that's a pretty big deal that the so queen Emma was in a, in a very powerful position. She was. But here, this plot thickens. Canute had another queen, not crowned and perhaps never officially married to Canute, Elphegu, Elphegu mm. of Northampton. She became his consort around the time he conquered England. Canute had sons by both women. Hartha Canute with Emma. Hartha Canute, that's his name. Hartha Canute. Hartha Canute. <laughs> with Emma. And Sven and Harold Harefoot with Elphegu. Elphegu. You, you better take it easy. You're going to mess Elfigu. around. Oh, her name is Elphegu. And producer West is going to have to start editing. Elphegu. Oh, what? Say it again, Karen. Here. It was like, I was trying to remember how they said it. It was like Elphegu. I don't. Elphegu. 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 Yes. Harold Harefoot's mother was Elf. Elfgifu, who was married to Canute. <laughs> and Sven was was Elfgifu's mother, but I don't think there's any way you're saying that right. <laughs> Sven was Elfgifu's. <laughs> By the end of this, you're going to be really glad the Normans came so that you're not named Ethelred or Elfgifu. Oh, Ethelred. Love it. I think we need to bring that back. <laughs> it's, it's coming. So much later, Emma commissioned a biography. That in praise of Emma was the name of the biography. That's what it translated. In praise of Emma. It claims her marriage agreement with Canute said their sons would take precedence over any sons Canute had with other women. There is no other record of this agreement. So she publishes biography in which she says that they had an agreement that her sons would take precedent over any other sons by any other woman, but there's no other record of the agreement except in her biography. And that was the one that Sarah was talking about, right? The biography. Yes. Yes. And and we and we can put our hands on a copy of this biography. I don't know about that. I would think so, because they're talking about it. Yeah. 
Canute needed help ruling his empire, so he sent Sven to Norway and Hartha Canute to Denmark. Sven was shortly driven out by rebels and joined Hartha Canute in Denmark. Neither was in England when Canute died in 1035. So now Canute has died, and neither of his sons by Elfgifu. No, the first one. Elfgifu. Hartha Canute. That's it. Elfgifu. Neither of his sons by Elfgifu are in the country, and he has died. So. Okay. Elfgifu, Harold Harefoot, and Emma because were in he England. Was quick. He was called Harold Harefoot because he was fleet of foot. Fleet of foot. Like a, like like a, a rabbit, like a, like a hare. A hare. Okay, very good. Mm. Thank you he for that. He didn't have hairy feet. So he didn't have hairy feet. No, he, he was, was not a fast. hobbit. Yeah. yeah, he was fast. So these Perfect. three, the two women and the son of Emma, were in England and began to battle for the throne. When Schwinn died shortly after his father... Elfgifu threw her full support behind Harold Harefoot. Now, why would he do that? Well, that was her other son. I'm sorry. I did have that wrong. Emma's son was... Hartha Knut. Hartha Knut, who was in Denmark, right? Are we going to have a, a representation of this as a supplemental photo that we can put up that... We do, have a family, we do have a family tree that lists all these people's names and tell how they're related. Okay. So we have that we have that picture. But as far as telling the story, I mean I've been going over it for days. That would be a very I'm, useful chart. And I'm starting it would be a useful chart. Okay, so and actually the piece we have is is from uh the Great Courses ten sixty six, not because the useful chart's really big and hard to shrink down that part. But anyway. So Emma supported the absent Hartha Canute, but he was busy putting down a rebellion in Denmark. So the English nobility rallied around Harold Harefoot. Emma did not give up. She summoned her sons from her first marriage. Okay, I can't get this one back. So now we're going to Normandy and calling back those who their father was a king too, but he was a king way back there. Edward and Alfred from Normandy to make their claim to the throne. Although Emma's biography claims Harold Harefoot forged a letter from Emma to lead them into a trap. So it says that Emma... It's a trap. Yes. Emma's biography is claiming that Harold Harefoot was bringing them back to entrap them. Edward and Alfred came separately to England. Alfred was intercepted by the men of Earl Godwin, a powerful supporter of Harold Harefoot. Now, the Godwins become a big thing in this story, okay? So, Earl Godwin was a powerful supporter of Harold Harefoot, but he was um, not, uh, he was not royalty, but he was Big carried a lot of weight and influence in England, and his family plays into it. Um, they took Alfred to the monastic church at Eli and attempted to blind him. He died early in 1037 of his wounds. Edward returned to Normandy, and Emma was forced into exile in Flanders. He said, nope, and turned around. Who, who was that, Edward? Edward. He sailed forward and then said, nope, and sailed backwards. Is he like, I'm not getting my eyes poked out. They were big fans of that, apparently. Yeah. Poking people's eyes out. Yeah. Gouging people's eyes out. Like little body yeah. foo-foo. <laughs> <laughs> That's where that comes from. That comes from the Middle Ages. I'm sure. Maybe that's Harold Harefoot. <laughs> Harold Harefoot, otherwise known as Bonnie Foo-Foo. I will poke your eyes out. <laughs> okay, Frank, tell us, tell us about the little Bonnie Foo Foo in case any of our, our listeners don't know that song. A uh, little Bonnie Foo Foo hopping through the forest, picking up the field mice and bopping them on the head. Maybe I don't have the, the thing right. No, that's right. And down came the blue fairy. And, and she said, Little bunny foo foo, I don't want to see you scooping up the field mice and bopping them on the head. I give you three chances, and if you don't stop, <laughs> I'm going to turn you into a goose. Are, are we really to... popping some eyes out though? Are we going to keep going down this and then that we're not going to pop any eyes I, out? I don't remember that. I think the eyes, yeah, that's like 
That might be a Reigns family edition. Oh, maybe it is. Uh, oh, okay. Don't even start. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I so let's some, some let's pull it back. I didn't mean to go down the Bonnie Foo Foo, even though it's funny. <laughs> no, I think it was good because it was like people need to know what we were talking about. I'm going to poke your eyes. Out. Okay. Um, I did. So, they mentioned in the my color commentary parody one that I listened to for you. They said in Emma's biography, I think it was this instance where they poked out this guy's eyes. Apparently, she drew little cartoon eyes next to that portion of the manuscript. Really? That's kind of inappropriate, don't you think? So I this is think. around 1035. She's drawing little pictures in her book. Little emojis. Yeah. <laughs> Harold Harefoot took the throne, but he died suddenly in 1040. Elsa Kifu then vanished from history. She was out of sons. She's out of the picture. Hart the Canute finally arrived to rule England, but he was neither married nor in good health. He made a pact with King Magnus of Norway that if one died without an heir, the other would inherit his kingdoms. Instead, in 1041, Hart the Canute sent for his remaining half-brother, Edward, to help him rule. Hartha Canute died in 1042, and Edward, son of Elthred and Emma, became king. So this is the same Edward that turned around and went back the other way. Okay. From her first marriage to Elthred. Okay. This should have been Emma's moment to shine, but Edward had her banished. He did not know on his mother in the country, and he sent her away. His mother who did not like him, apparently. You think so? Well, she sent she sent him away first because he had been in Normandy this whole time. Ah, uh, so Edward ruled for twenty four years, but his reign was far from stable. Known as Edward the Confessor, he was a holy man, perhaps best known for building Westminster Abbey. Check sure. that out. Now, Westminster Abbey's been in the news recently. Why? Like in the last the couple of months, the king. The Probably queen. the queen's funeral was there. Yeah. Part of her funeral. So that abbey was dedicated at the end of 1065. And it's still in use today. Pretty so interesting. We're, yeah, we're, we're at a point where we have officially overlapped from our content to present day. Yeah, I mean, at least and we've done it before. But I mean, that's that's very. Interesting. Yeah. So that was Edward's really big claim to fame that he's best known for that. And it was a big project. And he actually was in very ill health when it was dedicated and died within a couple of weeks after it was dedicated. Edward was not a particularly strong leader and was under the thumb of the aristocratic Godvinsons, led by Earl Godwin, who was blamed for the murder of Alfred. I've already forgotten which one Alfred was. He's way back there. He was the one um, that um, helped Bruce Wayne with some of the... Um, he did. He was good at that. Anyway, yeah. so Earl Godwin, remember, he's the guy with a lot of money. And he was... So they say Edward was under the thumb of him. Edward was even compelled to marry Earl Godwin's daughter, Edith. So Edward is married to Edith. Edward is king of England. The marriage remained childless, making Edward the third English king in a row with no descendants. In 1053, when Earl Godwin died, family leadership went to his son, Harold Godwinson, in 1055. Okay? Uh -huh. So that's the setup in England. So we're leaving England with Edward, otherwise known as Edward the Confessor, as king. and Harold Godwinson as like his right hand guy. Okay. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to jump. Now we're going to jump back over to Normandy. Okay. And we're going to talk about, well, who is this William of Normandy? So we've already mentioned that Normandy is a coastal region of Northern France that suffered from Viking attacks in the ninth century. In the early 10th century, the French king, Charles the Simple, gave territory to a Viking named Rolf or Rollo. In exchange for French land, the Vikings had to become Christians and act as a bulwark against other Viking attacks. The name Normandy means land of the northern. 
So what he essentially did was say, okay, here, Vikings, y'all can have some of this land. And therefore, then now you have to become Christians, but then you have to protect us from the other, the Vikings. other Vikings. Okay, so that's what's going on in Normandy. In the late 10th and early 11th centuries, Norman dukes invited foreign clergy to found monasteries in Normandy. They also gave their relatives important jobs in the church or made them counts in charge of regions of Normandy. Medieval relatives were notorious for rebelling against the head of the family, and Normandy was no exception. This was a particular problem if the duke was not in a position to assert his authority, for example, if he was a child. When Emma's brother Richard died, okay, remember the pact between England and Normandy to make peace was Richard married his sister Emma off to the king, Ethelred, okay? And so when that Richard died, his son Robert inherited the dukedom. Robert never got married, but had a son, William, with the daughter of one of his officials. Okay. okay. So this would be Emma's great nephew. Okay. Her brother, Robert, her brother Richard's grandson by okay. his son, Robert, but not from his wife because he didn't have a wife, but from the daughter of one of his officials. So Robert publicly acknowledged uh, the son in 1034 when he went on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. There we go, reintersecting with something that we've talked about. We've talked about pilgrimages, right? Mm -hmm. So Robert's going to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and before he goes, because it's a very dangerous trip and you might not make it back, he uh, acknowledged his son and made his noble swear to accept William as his heir. William's illegitimacy was not an unsuperable obstacle in the 1030s. So the fact that he wasn't a legitimate son by a wife was not a big deal back then. Robert named several guardians for his son, mostly noble or clerical relatives. Robert died on the pilgrimage, which made seven-year-old William the Duke of Normandy. Okay. At, at seven. Right away, there was trouble. One by one, his guardians died, some by murder. But this only seems to have made William stronger. So he's... the. A kid of seven who's getting older is getting stronger with the death of his guardians instead of weaker. By the mid-1040s, which would have, he would have been 13, he was a mature, skillful leader. He had learned how to read men and whom to trust. He recruited a new group of advisors to replace his guardians and rewarded them well for their loyalty. By 1055, William had consolidated his hold on Normandy and had sharpened his skills as a warrior and a politician. Meanwhile, in England, there was a king who had faced serious challenges and neither risen to the occasion nor produced an heir. And that was Edward, Edward the Confessor. Yes. So Edward the Confessor and William of Normandy belonged to different generations. Edward was the son of Emma of Normandy. William was her great nephew. Uh -huh. There was a gap of almost 30 years between them. Edward lived in Normandy until 1041, by which point William had been Duke for six years. So though he was still a child, it is possible Edward understood William's potential. So Edward had been living in Normandy while William was Duke of Normandy. It's just when he was a kid and an early teenager. Mm -hmm. But it's possible that during that time, Edward realized that there was a lot of potential leadership here. There are signs that in the early 1050s, Edward thought seriously about making William his heir. We have several Norman reports of Edward making overtures to William, although there is no English source that reports this. Do you have anything to say on that, Sarah? Do you remember anything about that? Uh, it was something. No, I think I'm thinking of something with one of the heralds where somebody got kidnapped and held for ransom. And yeah, I think that is one of the heralds that comes up later. But yeah. But William, some of the sources I read said William definitely believed that Edward had told him that he would name William as his heir to the throne. But there's not an English source that reports that. If these reports are true, it was not Edward's last word on the subject, because in the late 1050s, he sought out the heirs of his half-brother, Edmund Ironside, who had briefly been king in 1016. The older son had died, but the younger son, Edward the Exile, had ended up at the Hungarian court where he married and had three children. 
1057, he and his family, meaning Edward the Exile, were persuaded to come to England, but when they arrived, King Edward was occupied and uh, with other matters, and within a very short time, Edward the Exile was dead. Hmm. A lot of dying going on. There's a lot of hunting accidents and food poison incidents. A lot of oh. accidents. The wow. food poisoning's a good one, because that time, you know, at that point, our cooking knowledge was so so, so it could be accidental food poisoning. Or intentional food poisoning. Nobody's going to prove it. Nobody's going to know. Edward, the confessor, died on January 4th or 5th, 1066. But before he died, he designated Harold Godwinson as his successor. Uh-oh. Yeah. Not with Harold it. had the support of the king's close advisors, the which are called the, is it pronounced Witten? It's W-I-T-A-N. Close I think it's Witten. The Witten. He was the most powerful man in England, and he could step in immediately. So there was this uh, tradition or rule that the Witten would actually name the next king, but they went on the advice of the current king. And so that, one of the books I was reading, which is kind of like a historical fiction book, was talking about how they were waiting and waiting for him to tell them. And would you please, you know, he was sick and knew he was dying. And what was he going to say? And he said something close to the end about, and he never even said, I name you my successor. He just said something to Harold about take care of the kingdom or something along those lines. And so the Witten voted for him, Harold, to be king. There, um, perhaps Edward chose Harold freely. Perhaps Harold pressured him. We'll never know. Notably, nobody seems to have thought of making Edgar Etheling the king, who was another one of those descendants that was out there. As soon as Harold took the throne, William began planning his counter move. Now, Sarah didn't, well, I left out all the detailed Harold stories because that goes all over the place. But there's a story that has, they know it's some truth that Harold Goodwinson, Godwinson, before he was king, when he was Edward's helper, had gone to Normandy. That's, I think they thought he was kidnapped or whatever, but there's this idea that he made an agreement with William at that time that he would name William as heir. Yeah, I think, so the version of it I heard um, was that he was, and the, he did go over to Normandy and either had a shipwreck or was forced to shipwreck, because that was apparently a thing where some of those city, state, communities make really good money off of a shipwreck so they would kind of like throw up false light to cause ships to wreck and then just go pillage the shipwreck um and so i somehow i i think that happened to one of harold's ships or landed and i think he got kidnapped because that was also a really big thing of hey if you've got money we'll hold you until someone pays us some money for you and then William found out about it so he brought him over um got him back sort of and had him at Normandy and like one of the versions is he gets Harold to like state this and then like rips the cloth off the table and says oh look you've sworn over these holy relics so now you have to hold to your word holy um, relics was, yeah he had some hidden under the table so he oh, Harold didn't so know he was ma making so, so, an official thing. So if you make an um, oath, it's one thing. But if you make an oath over holy relics, it's the real deal. It's the real deal. Um, but it sounded like the consensus was whatever it was, it was probably under duress. And I think maybe a pledge in marriage to one of William's daughters. But she was like eight at the time. And that never went through. Hmm. So William had a couple of different reasons to think that he was going to become king of England. So when he gets word that Harold Godwinson is king of England, he begins to plan his counter move. And he had to fight on two fronts, the military front and the public relations front. So William needed the support of the major nobles in Europe, like the king of France or the count of Flanders. But he especially needed the pope's approval. Mm. And that was the one to get. So. He sent a delegation to Rome, and he supplied them with talking points. The first one being that Harold had broken his oath, 
that he would name William as king, and two, that as king, William would reform the English church as he had the Norman one. So he they were up to shenanigans. He was persuading the Pope to support him with his talking points. And it worked because the Pope approved of William's effort to conquer England. We are told that he gave William a papal banner to fight under, a powerful symbol at that time. Now, is this so, the Battle of Hastings? Yes. So from the late summer 1066 until September 8th, Harold Godwinson waited in the south of England for William's attack because he knew he was coming. He got word he was coming. Just as he disbanded his army, he heard that Tostig and Harold Hadrada, which we left out all the drama about who these people are, but basically it's some sort of relatives and some Vikings, had landed in Northumbria, which is on the north of England, and were marching toward York. So they were attacking England. So on September 20th, Harold Haldrada and Tostig defeated the English under Earls Edwin and Morcar at Fulford. Harold Godwinson, the king, reassembled the core of his army and raced north, catching the invaders by surprise at Stamford Bridge on September 25th. So this is the Battle of Stamford Bridge in which it was a total victory for the English. Harold Haldrada and Tostig were killed and the Scandinavian invasion was at an end. So he has a victory over these Vikings on the 25th, but then just days after that, he was now at the wrong end of England to meet the Norman invasion, which he knew was coming from the south. And so battles in the Middle Ages were rare and decisive battles were even rarer. But the Battle of Hastings qualifies because if William had lost, his invasion would have been over. I heard, too, that part of the reason they left, like he knew he was waiting on William to come. Um, but it was getting so late in the year, he didn't think he would come because the seas get were getting worse and worse. Um, and also the army's mostly of farmers and if you keep farmers too long their crops go bad and they won't have any food so there was some there was like the seasons were at play too it was a little bit of like this guy's not coming this year we'll wait till next year and you know all this because you just like to know all this because i listened to a book and remembered it that's pretty cool but also there's into this time period so when I found this book, I was like, you need to listen to this book. You would enjoy it. Your grace. Yeah. <laughs> Lady Sarah. Yes. Um, so William prepared carefully gathering men, ships, and supplies, not just from Normandy, but the surrounding territories in France and the Low Countries and securing the papal backing. He landed on the Sussex, Sussex, there we go, S-U-S-S-E-X, the Sussex Coast and immediately began fortifying his position. Harold Godwinson, the king, rushed south to meet him in battle, probably without adequate troops. The resulting battle had many twists and turns, but it ended with Harold dead and William master of the field. Master of the field. Apparently okay, we're coming the, up, we're coming up the on, English. Uh, oh, sorry. Apparently the English had the high ground in that battle. Oh, ground. which normally you would win with the high ground, wouldn't you? You would. And I think so that book said part of the reason the Normans figured out that if they feigned retreat, the English would chase them and break break formation. So they started faking that they were leaving. And it worked several times, not just yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> so it would, they take a few off of this end and a few off of the other end and a few. Off, mm -hmm. And the other thing that was. I read about it was that the English were on foot and then the Normans were on uh, or on horse. Yeah. So the Normans were like lots of knights and stuff from what I heard and the English that hadn't really made it to the English yet. Yes. So there's more to the story, but we're getting close to time. Huh, Frank? Yeah, I think we're getting yeah. close to time. So one little thing I want to say, and then we'll come, we'll come, we'll pick up with, what happens after the Battle of Hastings and maybe a couple of little more tidbits about the battle in the next episode. But one more thing I wanted to say is, do you remember a few years ago at Christmas, there was Sarah was gifted a Norse mythology book? I don't know if I do. 
Well, I have a picture that's popped up. You know how your photos will say this day in history or four years ago or whatever the deal is. So pictures popped up because we saved that book to the end of the gift go opening and you read from it in that Your Grace voice. Oh, I did. Yes. Well, just more and more things that come to mind that I don't have any remembering of these days. Well, there's a lot of things that happen in life and different people remember different parts. So oh, are, are we wrap up? Because that's a good segue into a story, a funny story. Yeah, I think it's time to segue into the story and we'll, we'll come back to what happens to well, William. It's not going to be the story you want me to tell. That's okay. Right? But this is just talking about remembering or, or you asked if I remembered that and I, have, I don't have a memory of it. Um, I recently uncovered or found or was in a Facebook feed. Someone had posted uh, on in Dropbox some uh, video called a video yearbook of when I was at Belmont in 1991 and in 1992. And it was just something that you would buy like you would buy. It was called a video yearbook. So it was just an, about an hour long video edited together with music of just people that whole year, you know, from the fall to the spring. And it wasn't about anything specific. It was just what's going on at Belmont for this year. And there's 91 and 92. Well, Tad and I watched it. And there's video footage of us doing a comedic bit on a stage that neither one of us have any memory of doing. Uh-oh. And it's only like a, a few seconds long. But what made me, it was interesting is if someone said, hey, do you remember when you and Tad did that thing on the stage? And we would say, no, we don't remember that. We didn't do that. Both of us would be in agreement that we did not do that and then be shown video footage of us doing it. It was okay. just it's crazy. Crazy. So that have, you, you just, have, you, have you seen the new commercials where they throw the flag and they watch the replay? Yeah. So yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. Like it's yeah. good to have that. So here's what happened to me sometime in the last few weeks. Um, we were <laughs> Tim and I were in a conversation. Sarah's already heard this story. That's why she's laughing. Tim and I were in a conversation with some good friends who hadn't who were asking us about details about the wreck that I was in at the end of October, which Tim was not in the wreck, right? Mm -hmm. Well, shortly, very shortly after the wreck happened, Sarah used my phone to call Tim and was telling him and talking to him. And then she gave the phone to me. I asked for the phone to talk to him. And I continued to talk to him until shortly before he got there i continued to talk to him up through the time that they got me out of the car and the emt or fireman was helping me and the fireman gave tim directions as to where to park because they had all the traffic blocked off you know where to turn in and park and how to get there and so mm -hmm. he was at the scene within a few minutes after we got off the phone hung up the phone after that so i'm telling this story to these people and tim goes no you call me back or i called you back we weren't on the phone the whole time and I'm like, we were on the phone the whole time. And he's like, no, we weren't. You come. I'm like, no, we were on the phone the whole time. And he's like, no, you weren't. We And then we just had to go on with the story. Mm -hmm. And so then I got to thinking about that instant replay thing. And I went, wait, there is a record mm -hmm. on my phone bill. And so Tim will be hearing this for the first time when he hears this recording. <laughs> but I had some time last week and I looked up the phone bill. Mm -hmm. Ta -da. We were on the phone for 18 minutes. Your Honor, I'd like to time. submit these phone <laughs> records into the case. Can we maybe mm -hmm. approach, please? We've got some documentation that shows. <laughs> You're do exactly what I would do. And it's, I like the amount of what you went to, but I do know that it uh, maybe not the best character trait that we both have. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> right. But the fact that they're petty. <laughs> the fact yeah. that they make those commercials where you throw the flag and replay makes me feel a little bit better about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not the only one out there. No. <laughs> well, this has been Sorry, fun. honey. I love you. It was, I did it for the laugh, babe. It's okay. <laughs> she did it for the laugh. <laughs> she did it for the laugh. Not, not for any other reason. <laughs>
No, I tell the story. I tell the story on the podcast for the laugh. Oh, okay, right. Let's be clear. Let's be clear. Even though there might have been an out, let's not take that. Let's be clear. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, Sarah. Maybe you'll. Maybe we'll invite you back. Oh, that would be amazing. See if I earn my spot on a new one. So, uh, what do we do now? I'm going to say, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say thank you, everybody, for listening. That was episode 83. This is the official wrap-up. Anything you hear after this, maybe will be edited out. But we'll see you next time. Later, y'all. Bye. This has been History Through the Eyes of Faith podcast. Please rate and review, subscribe, or follow wherever you stream your podcasts. You may also contact us and comment at onethingonly.org. Just click on the History Through the Eyes of Faith podcast tab. You can also support this podcast by checking the link to our Ko-fi site in our bio. Thanks for listening.